Hi, I'm Christine Specht, and this is Learning to Teach. I'm back to talk about another highlight of the Foundations of Learning course in the Master and Credentialing Program at University of Redlands. And here's our coronavirus update from September 17th. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the quarantine report. I'm Amy Goodman. The head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned Wednesday U.S. residents should not expect to receive a vaccine for the coronavirus until at least mid-2021, contradicting President Trump's claim at least 100 million doses could be distributed by the end of 2020. Dr. Rob... In the news this week, Hurricane Sally hit the East Coast. William Barr, Attorney General, had compared the quarantine lockdown, stay-at-home orders being like house arrest and only slavery being worse. We're still dealing with the emotions of George Floyd and the murder. It's still fresh. Protests are happening around the U.S. It's a highly racially charged environment. And yet there's a sense of an outspoken, blatant sense of minimization of the events that have occurred and an outward expression of hegemony. As all of this is going on outside, I take my new nightly posture, leaning my tired shoulders in towards my laptop for the 12th hour of the day. I exhale the stress and log in with a smile. As I know, this is the space that I get to share my passion. The learning just doesn't happen by turning in assignments, although that is a part of it. It is a total experience, and I am soaking it up. The free write today is about the poem, The Undeniable Pressure of Existence, by Patricia Farnoli, from Duties of the Spirit. The Undeniable Pressure of Existence. I saw the fox running by the side of the road, past the turned away brick faces of the condominiums, past the Sitco gas station with its line of cars and trucks, and he ran, limping, gaunt, matted, dull-haired, past Jim's Pizza, past the washamat, past the Thai garden, his sides heaving like bellows, and he kept running to where the interstate crossed the state road, and he reached it, and he ran on under the underpass and beyond it past the perfect rows of split levels and their identical driveways, their brookless and forestless yards, and from my moving car I watched him, helpless to do anything to help him, certain he was beyond any aid, any desire to save him, and he ran loping on, far out of his element, sick, panting, starving, his eyes fixed on some point ahead of him, some possible salvation in all this hopelessness that only he could see. I'll post the link on the website if you're interested in taking a look at it again. Um, This poem captures the essence of how some of us can be pushed past the point of exhaustion into hopelessness. But more than that, what I was thinking after rereading it is that as a teacher it is important 
to me to let the students have comfortable space as we express our ideas and that they have a platform to be in their element. Like the fox, not all of us are in our element and not everyone will see the struggle of one who is out of their element and barely surviving. I won't always know as a teacher either, but I think being aware of this and watching out for how I can better make the classroom elements provide a comfortable space will be something that I continue to strive for. So in our class, we had time to imagine our spaces of our classroom. I used my chicken scratch, sketch out my best Picasso of my future classroom. <laughs> and I imagine a space that I will teach and I think about the ways that I'm going to add some personality to the classroom. Um, high school, so nothing too elementary, something inspiring that prods their sense of curiosity maybe some favorite band posters because music right i want the students to know that music is a very relevant part of everyday life and has a place within our subject i think that i'll ask my students to bring a picture or an idea of a contribution to build that culture in my room that makes them feel that it's their element. It's their safe space. Perhaps favorite poets like Maya Angelou or Audre Lorde. I can have speakers and create a playlist for the start of each new class. A song that's relevant to the lesson. To interrupt that brain space from the outside noise and chaos and let them know that this is our place. And it'll trigger, hopefully, a sense of thoughtfulness to let them start learning. And it's these types of practical brain teasers that prepare me for the students. Before I talk about my own school story briefly and how school shaped me as promised, I just want to share a couple quotes from a video we watched the week prior to class on September 17th about Montessori schools. A couple of really brilliant quotes that outline what I want to keep in mind as I approach education are these. Future is unknown. What we need to do is prepare our children to face the unpredictable, which is what the future is. That was a quote from Andre Robert Freud, former president and associate of Montessori International. And here is another. Education is not about creating somebody ready to fit into a pre-organized position. So the purpose of education is much broader. It's to help people become full human beings and members of the human community. Without further ado, I'll share with you my story about school and how it shaped me. I entered into public school in Los Angeles Unified School District. This is the district that I would remain and graduate from after attending kindergarten in a private school in Culver City. My most traumatic experience from first grade was being hit on the head with a book by a teacher for talking. I guess that shut me up, right? <laughs> I remember surviving through third grade. My teacher was on strike for 
almost the whole entire semester. By fourth grade, I started my fourth school. It's when I entered into the math science technology magnet program. Um, I really liked the challenge of the magnet program. And the most memorable thing from elementary school was the fact that I was bused into this school. Um, the bus rides were explicit. The radio um, that we listened to talked about sex, music had profanity, conversations were totally uncensored on the radio and in the bus. And obviously that was kind of a shock to me at that point in my life. Um, middle school was a time that I learned that I met some like-minded friends who were interested in things that I was. I was musically inclined. I joined orchestra, but I also learned that I was the third fastest girl runner. So, um, I learned that I liked running a lot and... So I remember going to field trips, science museum, history museum, still two of my favorite museums to this day. I liked the reward of learning. I liked my teachers, but I did teeter on the balance that pulled me from trying to do well to try to fit in, making genuine friends. I think it's normal adolescent stuff we all struggle with. But in high school, in the end, I was the girl who people called a lesbian because I was always with the same friend. I was the girl who worked in the snack shop because it paid $88 every other week and a girl's got to eat, right? I was the girl who did all her homework and I'd gladly let you copy. I was quiet, shy, but mostly what I was remembered for is walking across the graduation stage at eight months pregnant school how did it shape me um i was really excited to learn i'm pretty nerdy that way and there were a lot of opportunities to participate in art and music throughout my education which is why i think i feel so passionate about it um sadly because it was not so popular um peer pressure affected me I couldn't find the time to spend time with my friends, so I couldn't prioritize everything um, properly at that age. So I left music for my friends. Um, I never freely expressed myself. I didn't have the platform of acceptance anywhere else. So today, music is still important to me. Um, I really want to incorporate music in my classroom and at 40, I'm unashamed of loving what I love. I feel passionate about giving students a voice because mine was often stifled. I had powerful lessons in history and remember reading Howard Zinn with Mr. Doyle, reading Black Boy by Richard Wright. It was these types of uh, literature pieces and um, outside reading that have been my foundation for probing the truth. Despite one teacher who told me that I would never go to college because I was pregnant, my community really became the teachers and the counselor. Overall, like I had a lot of encouraging teachers that overshadowed the other experiences. My home life was crazy and horrible, so mostly I was too distrustful to become close to anyone besides my boyfriend, 
once I became pregnant, he went MIA for the better part of my pregnancy. My best friend was in the midst of a drug crisis, which I found out later, and I had no idea at the time. I mean, she was literally in rehab during my baby shower. The teachers took time to encourage me. My biology teacher, who had MS, asked how I would feel about talking about my fetus growth while we learned about anatomy. I mean, in the end, I ended up doing home studies, so we didn't do that. But my trigonometry teacher gave me huge bags of clothes from her own son. My counselor met with me and asked me silly questions like what my cravings were. And answering questions like these were important for me because even though I was 17, I was still in this experience and she helped me normalize my pregnancy so I didn't feel like a sideshow. It helped me to feel human and not look at me like this dumb kid who got pregnant or if she did feel like that, at least she didn't let on. She was kind and never made me feel the way that the doctors did. Even though they never said negative things, it was in their eyes, you know, the judgment. And I had to go there. It was unavoidable. My counselor helped me petition to graduate from my high school. Even though I took a semester off for home studies and part of it, I had gone to a school with pregnant girls uh, for a few months, which she had given me as an option. And I really appreciated the time she did took to look into that for me and the students, when they saw me back at graduation, you know, they were like, oh, I see why you went missing for a period of the semester. Uh, yeah, when I showed up at graduation, they congratulated me. But what truly shaped me was what was ahead. There is no other force that shapes one's life like that of being a single mom. Reflecting on my story helps me relate to my future students and it motivates me to be a teacher who can be there for my students in a human way. Being a parent will also help me to relate to other parents and understand the complexities that do exist in homes. But to wrap things up, reflecting on my school story reminds me how important my journey as a single mom has been an integral part of who I am and my identity as a teacher going forward. Coming up on the next episode, I'll dive into the graphic novel To Teach in Comics by William Ayers. This book relates to some of the experiences that I had as a parent, and it reminded me of some experiences that my son had going into school. I look forward to talking to you more about what stood out to me and how the book teaches us that students are people too. Thank you for listening to Learning to Teach. My name is Christine Specht, and I hope you'll join me in my journey on the next episode when I share a little bit more about how William Iyer's book to teach in comics was exciting to relate to and um, how it really aligned with this, my son's school story, which truly shaped the way um, that I I see education today.